This is Mindset for Success, a We Global Studios podcast hosted by Dr. Leslie Knudsen. We explore the familiar, but not often talked about, deep-rooted emotional experiences that successful females have when setting up their businesses, and we learn how they overcame them. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knudsen. I'm very happy to welcome to today's show, Sarah Stender Delaney. Welcome, Sarah, and thank you so much for joining me. Uh, Sarah is an award-winning beverage creator, TEDx speaker, and is the founding CEO of Three Mountains, a social enterprise that owns two CPG brands, Cirilla Sparkling and Tima Tea. She has been partnering with the people of Rwanda since 2007, sourcing premium-grade Camila Sinesis Tea from farm-owned cooperatives and now growing their own botanicals on the Ubizima Healing Garden Farm. Before launching Three Mountains, Sarah founded a nonprofit that serves women with a history of trauma. Thank you again, Sarah. Thank you, Leslie. Great job. There are a lot of uh, a lot of new words there for you. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I wonder if you'd start by sharing a little bit about some of the diverse travel experiences you had growing up and also after college and how these may have shaped um, your experience or choice to be an entrepreneur. Sure. Um, I grew up in Vermont in a tiny town with about 1,200 people in the whole town. (laughs) Um, So the town only took us through eighth grade for school. Um, I think there were about 12 to 15 children in my class growing up. So it was just like an extended family. Um, Not a whole lot of apparent diversity. Um, mm-hmm. in the town, in the state. But I, I did have um, parents who really valued travel. And um, my mom remarried when I was three years old. And um, and my stepdad was an entrepreneur and business owner and did some real estate development work. He owned a um, construction company and did some green building projects. Um, he was really passionate about the Caribbean islands. And so that was a great opportunity. Every year we would take trips and we spent a lot of time in Anguilla, um, a very small island in the Caribbean before it was really developed. And I remember um, one particular time we were there, it was an extended trip and I actually went to school there um, for a few weeks and it was a really impactful experience to be the only Caucasian child in the classroom. And, you know, when, when Mm -hmm. I I really um, had never experienced that before and um, it just really opened my eyes up to maybe what the, you know, different experiences that I might be able to have in the rest of the world. I was always really curious. Um, And then my cousin, actually studied abroad in Kenya. Um, He was studying birds there. And so as I got older, I I heard his experiences too. And that also opened up my my eyes to the possibility of maybe even traveling someday to some part of Africa. Um, I started looking at the Peace Corps and um, 
So yeah, that was really kind of mm-hmm. the foundation, I would say, for my wanderlust and travel and really just interest in different cultures and different ways of living. I've always had a, a deep curiosity for um, what makes people tick. And how did that bring you to Rwanda in terms of going down and doing what you did? Right. Um, So in college, I um, studied in Boston. I went to Simmons College, an all-women's school, and I had um, the opportunity to um, travel to France. I I actually did two trips to France. I did a short um, summer abroad in Aix-en-Provence. And then my junior year of college, I studied in Grenoble, France, um, for a semester, I was studying international business. Um, and in that experience, unfortunately, um, I, I had a very tragic experience and um, I was attacked and raped in France while I was studying there. Um, and it was needless to say life changing. Um, I went into a state of Mm -hmm. freeze and I was in shock for a number of days. Um, They never found the person um, who committed Mm -hmm. that violence. Um, And and then I made my way back to the States. Um, I didn't get a whole lot of help initially for that um, trauma that I had, but I did go on to really excel in school finish out uh, my degree and um, and just kind of put my head down and and went about my life without getting a lot of help. Um, but then one night mm-hmm. I was in a movie store and I, I, I go into this a little bit more in my TED talk um, that I did a couple years ago, but it was like this film just kind of jumped off the shelf. It was a documentary about a group of women who had um, survived the genocide of 1994 in Rwanda. And I, I brought that movie home with me and watched it by myself. And um, it just uh, broke something open inside of me. And hearing their stories really helped me kind of tap into my own pain and uh, the experience that I had had that I had really been living with alone, feeling very alone. Um, and it really inspired me to get the help that I needed and also really deeply, um, I guess, you know, it's then that I had this deep, deep desire to go to Rwanda one day and meet some of these women or other women who had overcome such a trauma. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just continued down that path of studying human resiliency and um, looking at ways that I could become healthier and stronger so that you know, maybe I could be of service one day to others who had, um, you know, were suffering from a similar thing. And so fast forward, um, I was in my late 20s and uh, was actually offered a job in Rwanda. So it felt like some kind of a divine intervention. At that point, I was very, like, you know, ready to go. I was, um, you know, well on my way in my career path. I had found some passionate work and had moved to Asheville, North Carolina. And um, I was offered this position to run a restaurant in Rwanda called Heaven. And it was um, founded by a couple who had a background in public health. And it was their desire to offer this hands-on training ground for 
young adults who had lost their parents in the genocide. So it was really an effort to support their trauma healing process, but also to provide them with some job skills that they could then go on and and better themselves. And so I moved to Rwanda and lived there for almost a year and completely fell in love with the country. It was beyond my wildest dreams. I felt very welcome. Um, I did meet many, many women, Um, not the exact women who I had seen in the film, but um, they continue to be my teachers to this day. And that's where the foundation was laid for the nonprofit that I started and eventually Three Mountains. Mm -hmm. Part of um, what we talked about earlier before we came on was that um, you didn't necessarily fit in in growing up in Vermont. However, in Rwanda and maybe as an entrepreneur, you feel more like you've found your place to fit in. Would you, can you, could you elaborate a little bit on that? Yeah, definitely. I'm glad you brought that up again. Um, sometimes I forget, you know, what an uncomfortable period that was because I do feel so at home in the world now, but it's taken me a lot of work in a long time to really, um, I guess, find myself, you know, we talk about finding our tribe or finding our people, but I think it's really important that we find ourselves first. And so I did feel very lost for a long time and really uncertain about my identity uncertain about even what I believed in and um, what was my truth versus what was, you know, the truth of the people around me. Um, But I definitely, Mm -hmm. I kind of felt like a, I guess, a square peg in a round hole for many years. And I started um, experimenting with alcohol at an early age, probably about 13 was my first drink. And uh, the first time I, I had a drink, it was like, it sparked this thing in me that was like, ooh, maybe this is the solution to feeling like I could fit in or feeling like a sense of belonging Um, so it immediately took away this, um, kind of social discomfort. And, um, Mm -hmm. I, I also have alcoholism in my family, um, generation, you know, there's generations of, of addiction, um, on both sides. Um, so it was, it was in there somewhere. Um, I was, Mm -hmm. you know, familiar with that disease and, um, I, I went on, um, on that path. And so that created a lot of problems in my life. Um, I tried to hide it. I was not, you know, drinking every day in high school by any means, but it was definitely creating problems. And so it was um, in my 20s that I got sober and started to connect with other people who were living a life of recovery. And so I found I fit in really well with those people. I fit in really well with people who are sober, who are living a life of recovery, who are on this path of like, you know, tapping into our highest self, our best self, really on this like purpose-driven mission, Um, you know, sometimes a bit obsessed with with certain things. And I just got it. Like, I just understood we could see eye to eye. Um, I think entrepreneurs in general have to be obsessed in some way with something because it's it's definitely an uphill climb in so many ways with the work that we choose to do. And we often have these really 
big, big visions and big, big missions. And that's part of being a successful entrepreneur. And so, and holding on to those no matter what. I think the why behind what we do has to be so big and so life-changing, maybe even world-changing to really succeed. Otherwise, you know, we hear those statistics about people who give up or businesses that fail in the first one to three years. Um, but that's not an option for me, and it never was because my why and my mission is just too big. Um, so it's really helped me to connect, yeah, with with other women um, who are on that path, and then also feeling really at home in Rwanda amongst the people um, who have, you know. S- such, um, I guess, challenged histories, but really have had to tap into something greater than themselves in order to carry forward. Mm-hmm. In some ways, or I should step back from it, many of the women entrepreneurs who I speak to have some sort of, um, let's say, medical issue that has come up and is sort of a life-changing event for lots and lots and lots of reasons in their lives. Would you would you say that the trauma that you experienced gave you the why that brought you to Rwanda and then founding um, Three Mountains? It's possible. I mean, it's it's very possible. I've had other whys in my life. That's the one I chose to focus on with you today. Um, there have been other experiences that have been pretty profound and life changing. But I would say that was that was um it was devastating. I mean, I thought I was gonna die. Um, and I I think. Mm-hmm. anyone who's been faced, you know, who's faced death like that is, is going to either go down or go, there's, you either go down or go up from there. It's a turning point. Um, mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. at that point where I, I chose to get help and get clean and sober, that's, um, that was my turning point. And so my, mm-hmm. the beverage mm-hmm. that I'm making, Cirilla, is really all about like choosing to drink for change and it's mm-hmm. effervescent mm-hmm. it's celebratory it's something that i'm so excited to share with people who are maybe choosing to drink less or not at all and still want to feel special and so that's what i keep coming back to with that specific product line so i i kind of have a different angle for for each product line but behind them all is this idea of resilience and how can we become more resilient together in all of the choices that we choose to make. And the resilience, of course, is also in terms of being able to start your companies and work through all the big, big, big stuff um, that you've you've done other important um, healing processes over your life that has given you a, a sense that you can do um, big things and well, thanks to your resilience. Yeah. And I love, I mean, when I go onto a website, um, for another company or a product, I always go to our story first. Um, sometimes it's hard to find, but that's my favorite part Mm -hmm. of it. I always look for their story and you're right. Like most, I would say 
most of the entrepreneurs I'm drawn to anyway, definitely have this really interesting story. And there was something in their life and it was usually, it usually felt negative at the time. It usually felt like a hardship or something in their life that at the time they probably wished they weren't even going through. But that was the thing that created the change. It was the problem that they saw. They were like, okay, I've got this problem. I need to solve it because I'm not the only one who has it. And that's where the idea always begins. And it, and do you think that that's part of the reason why resiliency is so important to you because you've worked through difficult problems and you've been able to um, overcome them and, and start businesses and feel like you're making a difference? Yeah, definitely. Um, we created this model called the well, it's called the resiliency model, um, and it's based loosely on the community resiliency model. We um, developed this in Rwanda and with some American um, psychologists as well. And they talk about the resilient zone. So we have a depiction of this that we can illustrate. And the resilient zone is really kind of, it's going to be kind of up and down, but hopefully it's like, a pretty narrow wave of ups and downs. But when someone's not in their resilient zone and they spike up or spike down, or they're easily bounced out of the zone, whether it's high or low, um, that's what we're always working towards is to kind of narrow that gap and be less spiked out one way or the other. And so that I think the more we can stay in our, res our personal resilience zone, the less likely we are to get bounced out or just thrown for a loop when something outside of our control happens. Like this is so relevant today with the pandemic, which every single person in the world has been impacted mm -hmm. by one way or the other um, is like, how did people respond to that? Well, to, for me, it really depends on what was the resilient, were we in the resilient zone coming into it? Because if someone's had many, many different, um, occurrences, let's say leading up to a big occurrence, and they haven't been able to manage it well, or they haven't had the resources and haven't stayed in their resilience zone, then they're more likely to get bounced out or thrown real high or real low when something major like this pandemic happens. Whereas like, why do some people, let's, you know, going back to the genocide, it was just fascinating. It's like, why do some people experience that? And let's say they've all witnessed the same thing and some people end up just completely devastated. They never can get their life back together. Maybe they even become suicidal. Um, and then other people go on to just thrive. You know, they end up doing amazing th things and changing, helping other people throughout the rest of their life. And so that's what I'm really fascinated by. And I do think that depends on what the resiliency is of the person. Fundamentally, we can build that. We don't have to be born with it, but we need to have resources to help us um, get to that point. And so I did luckily have resources in the U.S., but I know many people who don't have them. Um, it doesn't take a lot of money or modern technology right. necessarily, but it does require a supportive, healthy community. And just personally, in order for you to stay in that narrow resilience track that you're talking about, have you found ways over the years to um, stay in that track so you don't bump up or you say bounce out and bounce back? 
Yes, that's um, that's a great point. I mean, I'd love to leave a couple like simple tools that other people maybe could use. But one thing I've been really looking at lately, mm-hmm. and and there's seasons. I mean, there's layers and layers of work. I'm always going to have more work I can do in this area. But something that I've been looking at recently is just the self-talk. What are the words that I'm using during the day if I'm alone? You know, because I'm alone more than usual now doing some work from home, not necessarily around a lot of team members in person. And so what how am I speaking to myself like when no one's around? And and would I would I speak to a young child in the same way, for example? I really check in with my physical self, like just like my breath, noticing my heart rate, um, noticing the thoughts in my head throughout the day, noticing if I start rushing too much. And so for me personally, I'm I'm now aware of the signs of stress or the signs of anxiety that I can kind of tap into, tune into, and then I can adjust those because I've got all the tools, I've got the tools I need inside to do that. Um, but everyone's mm-hmm. different. So everyone needs to get to know their own kind of indicators for are they getting bounced out or are they right on the edge, you know? And I can tell, I mean, in, in the 12-step program, we have this acronym called HALT, which refers to hungry, angry, lonely, and tired. So I'll sometimes just check in, like, where am I with those things? Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? And like, what do I need to feed right now? Like, how is my bank account doing in all those areas right now? And if I'm kind of on the edge or running low in those different areas, then it's probably not the best time for me to have like a really tough conversation with my husband, for example, or like, you know, to push myself too far to do something that's going to take really like full steam. So those are just some some simple things. And then I like to also use grounding exercises when I'm, if I'm feeling bumped out, there's a great one, you know, it's just as easy as looking down at your feet and noticing where you are right here, right now. Um, one of my friends also, she, mm-hmm. she um, has worked with us in Rwanda. And when a child is kind of bounced out of their resilience zone or getting ready to throw a tantrum, even pressing really hard against a wall with your hands um, feels really good and can feel really grounding. Mm -hmm. And so those are just some quick and easy Mm -hmm. tools to get back into the zone. Great. I really appreciate it. It's very um, concrete, I think, and helpful. Um, So I appreciate that. Believe it or not, we're at the end of our podcast. I would like to ask you, how can our audience find you um, on uh, if they need if they'd like to look you up and reach out to you? Sure. Well, personally, I can be found on LinkedIn, Sarah Stender Delaney, um, also on Instagram as Delaney Global. If you want to try our products, which are made with Rwandan tea, you can go to drinksarilla.com. It's S-A-R-I-L-L-A, like gorilla. Um, and then we also have a line of loose leaf teas at Drink Tima Tea. Um, and our nonprofit is called Africa Healing Exchange. If you'd like to connect with the women we work with, healingexchange.org is the best place to learn more about that. 
This podcast is brought to you by We Global Studios, the first startup innovation studio and digital DIY startup platform for women entrepreneurs around the world. For more information on our guests, this podcast, and many other female founder programs, please visit weglobalstudios.com. I'm your host, Dr. Leslie Knutson. Please drop me a line at mindsetforsuccess at weglobalstudios.com. See you next week.